I sure appreciate the musicians who've led us before the throne of grace this morning. Thank you for those who have, uh, have led us. I want to begin by wishing you a happy Father's Day to the dads and grandpas that are among us. We uh, appreciate you and I hope that you're having a, uh, a great day and good day for us to be in the Lord's house together as we, as we uh, celebrate and honor dads. Uh, I'm thankful for my dad. I'll be giving him a call here a little later this afternoon and talking with him. Um, my parents live in central Missouri. Um, when I was growing up, uh, we lived in a suburb of Houston, Texas. And so uh, uh, my dad was a professor at the University of Houston. And, and so we were in that area when I was a child. And uh, he was a dad that was always involved in our lives. Uh, still, you know, has, uh, has maintained, you know, just a strong connection. And it's been such a good example for me and my younger brother over the years. Uh, I've got so many fond memories of, of him and, and his contribution and uh, the way that he uh, invested in me. Uh, I think back as a kid, you know, he was the kind of dad that always wanted to be involved with, uh, you know, with our sports programs. If we were on a, uh, uh, you know, Little League baseball team, he wanted to be the coach. Uh, if I was on the basketball team, he wanted to coach the basketball team. And in fact, the, uh, the uh, organizations had to, to schedule our practices and games around him because he would coach my brother's teams and my team and, you know, in the, in the, you know, try to coordinate all those things. That's, that's how much he wanted to be involved in. And so I just look back and appreciate that uh, so much about him. I can remember our, our family vacations because, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, as I said, he was a professor, and so he'd usually work the first summer term, and then we'd, uh, then we'd go on vacation. Usually we would camp, and so we'd pile up in the van, and we'd get the dog, and we'd have tents or a little pop-up camper, and, and, uh, so we took some, some great camping trips as a, as a family and spent time together. I can remember on one particular occasion, we, uh, uh, for whatever reason, my dad got a, a whole bunch of green Mountain Dew bottles and uh, had them in the cooler. And it just seemed like that was, uh, that was what we had to drink for that trip. And so we had all these Mountain Dew bottles. And my brother and I thought we would, we would be funny and we would take one of the empty ones and take it down to the creek there near the campsite and fill it up with creek water. And when he wasn't looking, switch it around by his chair. And uh, we just thought that would be hysterical. And so, again, I was about 11 and my brother was about 8. So uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time anyway. So uh, we just sat back and watched, and sure enough, it worked. He took a big old swig of what he thought was Mountain Dew, and then he just spewed it out all over the campground, and we thought it was a, it was a real riot, and uh, we got pretty good because we, we were able to do it again, and uh, we, we found another bottle, and we managed to get creek water in there and get it back on just a little bit. You know, they, you didn't have twist-off caps back then, right? So it was a little bit of an effort to kind of make it feel like it was back on there and put it in the cooler. Sure enough, we got him again, and uh, uh, same thing happened. I've been, I've been thinking back... I know we didn't keep doing that, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I'm sure that dad had some kind of a response that said, you know, that's enough of that. And so uh, that was a memory for that, that experience and that camping trip never to be done again because I don't have any other childhood memories of pulling that prank uh, on my dad. He could probably fill in the rest of those details <laughs> about that. Um, my dad came to know the Lord when I was a teenager. And so, uh, you know, I saw a, a real uh, change in his life from when I was a child uh, to him being, uh, you know, a, a believer as I was a teenager and seeing his his uh, desire to grow in the Lord and attend church with us. My mom had taken uh, my brother and I to church when we were younger. And so having him be a part of that was was really neat to see that change. And before I graduated from high school, he was uh, he was even a, a, a teacher in my Sunday school class and just gone on to see him really dig deep into the word 
word, and uh, he's uh, just really been a great example and, and model for me and for my brother. And so, uh, you know, it's with a grateful heart that I, I share a Father's Day message with you today. But I, but I know that this is a day that's also filled with, with, with other emotions. Uh, for some of you, it may be uh, gratitude. You may be looking forward to making that phone call, or maybe you're here with your dad. Um, I know others, uh, you know, you may have lost your father. And, and you, you think of a day like today and there's, there's mixed emotions as you remember back and, and you, uh, uh, you, you don't have him any longer to, to call or to talk with. Uh, or maybe the relationship you had with your dad wasn't, wasn't strong or healthy. And so there, there, there could be some, some tension in that process as well as you think through uh, a day like Father's Day. So uh, wherever you are today on this day, I, I just want to uh, encourage you to draw near to the Lord, which I think is exactly what that third song was, was uh, helping us to to recognize that, that God himself, he is, he is the eternal father and he is the one that we can come to and, and he does care for us. We've been in a, a series this summer uh, going through different psalms. And so we're going to do that again today, Psalm 128. And it's a psalm that I believe was written to a father. And it speaks of a father's influence. But uh, as we look at it, uh, I want us to remember uh, in this psalm, just as we do every week, um, that God is the one who is the focus of the psalm. It's, uh, it's, it's him at work in this man's life. Or in reality, it's God at work in the life of this family and these individuals that are, that are mentioned in Psalm 128. So, so as we think about who God is uh, in the Psalms, I think we will see that God is a God who cares about the family. He cares about the home. And I realize that as we, as we think about the home, when we think about the family structure, it's not always perfect. In fact, it's never perfect. There's always challenges. There's, there's, uh, there's brokenness. There's, there's heartache and hardship that happen within the home. And so we know that God is still, uh, still cares for that home and He cares for the people in that home and He comes alongside to, to give His, uh, His assistance. Uh, but we also want to recognize that, that, uh, that when a, when a family or in, in the case that we'll look at this morning, a father, you know, purposes in his heart to walk in the ways of the Lord, that there is blessing. And that's the type of blessing that is being spoken of here in Psalm 128. Um, we live in a day in which, in which uh, uh, fatherhood and marriage and family is under the microscope. And uh, there's, there's uh, a lot of dialogue today. In fact, I just saw a commercial over the weekend that was uh, geared for children to help them see that family definitions can, can be very different in terms of, you know, two moms or two dads. And you just see the, the direction in which the, the culture has gone with, with, uh, with some of that. And uh, it's important for us as a church family to be able to go back into the Word of God, which speaks over and over and over again about the family. And uh, wants families to be blessed and wants, wants uh, moms and dads and children to be uh, in, uh, in, in, in families that have the blessing of the Lord. I know that, uh, that there's a lot of statistics out there, and I've, I read through a lot of them this week, and I, I, I know that that's not always uh, the most interesting thing for people, so I'll just kind of briefly touch on a couple of them, because I think that there are some mixed messages being sent out in our culture today. Uh, on one hand, you have groups like the National Fatherhood Initiative that give statistics to show just how important it is that a father be in the home, that a father be there to, to care for his children. And, and uh, they, they, uh, they have a quote that I, that I found on their website that says, there is a father factor in nearly all of the societal ills facing America today. 
And uh, you can you, you can go to their website and you can read, but it just talks about a, a father's influence. And when it's not there, the children are, are uh, much more prone to things like drug, drug abuse and crime and dropping out of school and some of these things that we as a, as a nation and as a country all have to work through and help each other through. And, and, and they say, you know, a lot of it goes back to the fact of having a father there in the home. And so you have those statistics on one side, then you have the other things that I was telling you about on the other that, that, that make it seem like there, there's not uh, the distinction that is needed for, for fathers. And so it's a challenge for us as a church. How do we process all of these statistics? How do we take all of it and and, uh, and, and as a church, have, have conviction about the home and yet at the same time have grace for the day in which we live, realizing that, that there is a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache uh, taking place in the American family. I don't know if you heard this last week that the uh, Southern Baptist Convention met. They meet once a year. That's the denomination that we are a part of by choice. Uh, we, we support the Southern Baptist uh, Convention and, and uh, cooperatively we, we, uh, we help with, with missions and with seminary education and with uh, other ministries. One of them is called the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, ERLC. If you want to see that, helps uh, uh, form biblical uh, positions and statements about issues within the culture, and they're based in Washington, D.C. Uh, but this last week, the Southern Baptists met, and as they do every year, they create resolutions to say, this is what we believe, and uh, other denominations do this as well. You can see that, uh, you know, Catholic Church will, will make statements about their belief, and you'll see uh, other uh, uh, Presbyterian bodies, and I know there's, there's a number of Presbyterian denominations, but they will, they will meet, and they will have an assembly, and they will, they will have a vote, and say, this is, this is what we believe. Well, the Baptists have done that, the Southern Baptists. Baptists, and uh, they have made a resolution which you can read online, and uh, I'm not going to read it to you because it's very lengthy, but it's, uh, it's Resolution 5 on the call to public witness on marriage. And uh, it begins by saying, whereas God in his divine wisdom created marriage as the covenanted conjugal union of one man and one woman. And it goes on with scripture in parentheses talking about the belief and the conviction that we have of the biblical family and saying that that even in light of the fact that the Supreme Court will likely be making a ruling uh, this week, uh, possibly the next, I think it has to happen by the end of, of, uh, of the month, that uh, that there could be a redefinition of marriage to include same-sex couples. And I know some have said you've spoken about this a lot lately. And, and the reason I have is because it's right at the forefront of our culture. And if, if, if you're staying up with current events and trends and, and seeing what's happening, this happens to be uh, one of those events that, that could have a significant impact upon the church. And you say, why? Because I perform weddings and we host weddings here in our, in our sanctuary. We, we, we come alongside. That's part of what a church does. And so it could have some, some major impact upon us on how this is worded. And so the, uh, the Baptist, Southern Baptist denomination has said, this is what we affirm. And then they go on in the resolution. You may want to read it. And says that uh, the Southern Baptists recognize that no governing institution has the authority to, to negate or usurp God's definition of marriage. And be it further resolved... That no matter how the Supreme Court rules, the Southern Baptist Convention reaffirms its unwavering commitment to its doctrinal and public beliefs concerning marriage. And it goes on to speak a little bit about religious liberty because you realize that what can happen with uh, the way these, these uh, decisions come forth is that it could uh, put uh, a lot of pressure upon churches to, 
to uh, to agree with with what's out there. So I just tell you that not in a not in a mean spirited way, not in a not in a in a in a way that that is uh, that is unloving, but that's what is happening. And we, as a church and as a, as a denomination, need to understand what our what, what 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 it is that we are standing on, what our convictions are regarding things uh, like marriage. And when it comes to a day like Father's Day. Again, I want this to be a day where, where we encourage dads, where they're built up. I know that uh, sometimes there's a tendency to, to use Mother's Day as that time, you know, to, to come alongside and encourage the moms and appreciate them. And then and what do the pastors do on Father's Day? You know, they, they come and just kind of pop the dads right between the eyes, right? Well, that, that is not the intent for the message today. What I think Psalm 128 does is it gives us a description. It gives us a picture of a man who is following the Lord. Is he perfect? No, he's human. But his intent is to be near to the Lord and walk in his ways. And we see that that man brings a blessing to his home. And as I look out over this congregation, I see many of those Psalm 128 men sitting right here. And so I hope that you'll take this message and see it as as an appreciation, as an encouragement to say, guys, dads, keep on. Keep on pressing on. Hang in there. Regardless of what we hear in the, the society and in the culture and all the shifting sands in which things are built upon, hang in there, guys. And we'll do this together. And as a church, we will affirm and appreciate the godly dads who are among us. And uh, I've gotten to know so many of them through the men's ministry and, uh, and in other aspects of, of being here now for, for a year. And I, and I just appreciate these men so much. Um, so with all that said, let's turn to 128, uh, uh, Psalm 128, and uh, let's read it in its entirety, and then we'll, uh, we'll briefly look at a few points from it. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. So we see at the beginning that this is a psalm that really impacts all of us. Now, there's some unique um, application to the father and to grandparents, as we'll see here in the end. But I, I think we would agree that there are principles here for all of us to look at, beginning in the first verse. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Verse 6. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So we see here that there is some application to the father, to the husband. There's some clues there in verse 3, referring to the wife and to the children. Uh, But if you aren't a father, uh, I I want you to also just see that there's a psalm here that will encourage you to live a life that is pursuing God, walking in his ways. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, in in Psalm uh, 1, when we looked at the blessed life and we looked at the the, the road of the world and we looked at the road, uh, the path that God leads uh, us down as well. And we saw the distinction between the two. There's a very similar thought here at the beginning. So as we begin here, I want us to look first of all at a father's faith. And we see that uh, his faith is described uh, in verse 1 when it says, Blessed or blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. Now this word is used four times in six verses, this word blessed or blessed. And uh, out of the Hebrew, it even speaks of happiness. It speaks of joy. And so it begins with a blessing. 
Psalm 128 begins with a blessing, a statement of, of, of blessing and happiness uh, for the one who is aligned under, under God. So I believe that this is a foundational statement for the rest of the psalm. Everything else that flows out about marriage or, or children or even grandchildren in verse 6 begins in verse 1 with the foundational relationship that a man has with God. That this is the primary one. And that from that, it will, it will impact all of his other relationships. Whether it be in the home or whether it be in the community or in the, on, on the workplace, that it begins with that relationship with God. And it speaks of him being blessed because he fears the Lord. And he does what? What does it say there in verse, in, in verse 1? Walks in his ways. And so I want us to, to think about this idea of, of fear. It might be uh, that in some cases, you know, we have a fear of God as if, you know, we're, we're afraid of something or afraid of what he might do uh, in terms of judgment or so forth. But this is really a different way of using that word fear. It's speaking of a reverence, a deep abiding respect for who God is. And that this man, this father who has this kind of deep respect for God will want to follow the ways of God. Because this is something that is very, very important to him. And we see that there in verse 1. We see also that there is blessing because of that. And, uh, and I would just ask this as a question this morning. Do you think that walking with God is something that should be enjoyable? You think so? Is that something that this should bring about satisfaction and joy? I, I, I think it does. And I think that's what this verse is saying is that, that, that there is blessing. There is joy, there is happiness. It's because we know the direction that we're going and we get the satisfaction from knowing that we're following Him and He is able to bless the life that we're living. Our priorities, our values, the direction that we're going has God's blessing upon it. And in fact, uh, in Psalm 16, it says this in a, in, a, in, a, in a clearer way in verse 11 when it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of, what does it say? Joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we start with the blessing. And so many people are looking at the the direction of life in which they're going. And we have to say, are we finding the blessing of God? Do we have the pleasures of God within us? And the secret, I believe, is found right there. Right there in verse 1, that we would say we want to have a, a good understanding of who God is and that we would want to follow after Him. So this is the idea of a father's faith. Secondly, we see that it leads us into a father's family. And uh, in verse 2, it's speaking of his provision. Verse 3, speaking of his wife and his children. And uh, uh, as I think about the, the, the father being a provider, you know, I think we would, we would naturally uh, consider the, the, the physical provisions that a father brings to his family and to his home and the, the good work ethic, the strong work ethic that, uh, that, he, that he demonstrates for us. But the provision is more than that. In light of this, of this chapter, I think we could also see the spiritual provision of being that example, being that, that model for for the uh, for the rest of the family to see and and know that that, that God has has uh, given him this family so that he can be a spiritual leader. In fact, uh, Focus on the Family uh, published an article called "Promise Keepers at Work," and uh, and speaking of the fact that when a within a home when a man comes to faith in Christ, 
uh, who's married and who has children, that 93% of the time the household will follow his leadership. And that is just a staggering, staggering statistic. And it just shows the natural leadership that God has given to men to be leaders. Now, obviously, to be godly leaders and to do it in the right way. You know, we're not talking about excess and we're not talking about ways in which would not not be loving to a to a spouse, to a a wife or or kids, but that they are given the uh, the ability to to, to be leaders. And so there is a natural uh, following that that men have, that, that fathers have among their home. And it's a great responsibility for us to stop and to consider consider whether or not our walk with God is worthy of being imitated. Can, we, can, can others see the, 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 the fear that we have of God or the deep respect? Can others see the walk, the daily walk that we have uh, following after the Lord? That these are things that, that can be uh, a part of the heritage that we give, part of the, uh, the influence that we have. In fact, uh, there's a couple of agricultural illustrations here, and I, I know that as we look at that, they, they seem a little strange. Look there at, uh, at verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. And then later in the verse it says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And we might look at that and say, what, what exactly is, is all this talk about a fruitful vine and about uh, uh, olive shoots? What does this mean? And uh, I, I think if, if, you, uh, if you consider the, the, uh, the nature of a vine, that you see the you see the way that it wraps, the way that it clings, and it reminds us of the passage that says that that wives cleave to husbands as husbands cleave to their wives, that they come together for mutual support, mutual strength, mutual benefit, even as they uh, begin by God's grace a family, uh, and 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 see the the the, the fruit of their marriage uh, with children. In fact, Psalm one twenty seven verse three speaks of children not as a burden. But as a blessing, look at verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so uh, together, this is something that that uh, husband and wife are able to uh, to to have by God's grace. Uh, this idea of the olive shoots is something that, that may seem a little strange. We don't grow a lot of olive trees in our area. Uh, but when we lived in Greece, our family, uh, when we lived there, we had some olive trees that were near us. In fact, one of the roads that we would drive down to get to the airport uh, was off the beaten path, if you will, to avoid the toll road. And we would, we would go in and out of these fields that had been there for thousands of years. Uh, olive trees can continue to produce olives for, for over a thousand years. And what happens is, you know, they don't get real tall but their their trunks get exceptionally thick and it goes back to this idea of an olive shoot uh, that they that they that out of the ground out of the root system come up these shoots and they come and they grow right around the trunk of the original olive tree and then from there over the over time it they become stronger they they even sometimes come in in uh and uh in kind of a circular way around the trunk and even the original olive tree can wither away on the inside but those shoots that have grown up and become strong they 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 support that tree and continue to be fruitful and so when uh, when god used this idea of the olive shoots being like the children you can see the the analogy that's there and so it begins with the care and the support of the original tree but then it goes on to be its own support uh, even even years after that original tree is no longer able to produce and so we see this idea of of a father and his influence uh, even upon a family the third one after the faith and the family uh, is number three a father's legacy 
And if you look at verses 5 and 6, you'll notice that there are three places that are mentioned. Uh, It says, the Lord bless you from Zion. Uh, And this is speaking uh, to a Jewish audience, obviously. And Zion would have been like the political capital of the day. We would think maybe Washington, D.C. That would be a word that they would use to describe of the, 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 uh, the political seat. Then it says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. You think about Jerusalem being the capital. You see, uh, you think back to times where the uh, where the temple would have been located, and so forth. And so uh, you see the the uh, the capital of of that uh, country. And then at the very end of verse six, it says, "Peace be upon Israel!" Exclamation point, which is speaking, of course, as the country. And so. It's a very interesting statement to have there at the end of the psalm because as we think about a father's faith and we think about how he can impact his home, all of a sudden we're also talking about others that are being impacted. We're talking about about other cities and we're talking about the nation as a whole. And so uh, I I think that, that even some of the statistics we read earlier tell us that a father and a home have a tremendous impact even upon a nation and see it as uh, part of the fabric of the nation. Here's how Martin Luther said it. And you know, he lived hundreds of years ago. And this is what he said. Household government is the fountain of political government. If you destroy the one, the other can't exist. It's a strong statement. But it shows the, 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 uh, the important nature of the home. And I think that on Father's Day, we could see and, uh, and recognize, just as we did on Mother's Day, the importance of a, of a godly father as well as a godly mother. That's the encouragement. But then that legacy goes even, even, uh, even into a, another generation, as it says in verse 6. Do you see what's referred to there? It says, yes, may you see your children's children. And so now we have a word here to grandparents, right? To grandchildren. The legacy from one generation to another. And as I was speaking in the first service in particular, I was looking out and I know I've got a lot of people there. And I know we have some here in this service as well who are grandparents. And you have the opportunity to, to influence. And, and maybe uh, some that are here uh, are thinking, well, I'm, I'm the grandchild. Well, look to your grandparents. Look to them as, as what they are able to, to provide in terms of, of wisdom in terms of life experience, but also for those who are, who are fearers of the Lord, as we read in Psalm 128, watch the path of their life. Watch the pattern. Because there is a, a godly legacy and a heritage that you can glean from them or grandparents that you can give uh, down to two generations or more. And so uh, it's, it's amazing that it's mentioned right here in verse 6. And in some families, it is the grandparents who are the ones who are the primary uh, spiritual influence. And so we don't want to discount this by any means. And it's right here in verse 6. And I hope that that will encourage you to consider uh, influence even to the next generation. Um, I want to wrap up by giving us a definition of manhood to consider. And it comes from this resource here, 33 the series. Uh, this is something that is, uh, was first known as men's fraternity. And then our men's group has gone through this. In fact, we had a couple of groups, Wednesday night and Friday morning. Um, how many men 
here today have been through either men's fraternity or you've been a part of 33 of the series. Would you raise your hand? Just look around. A number of the guys have done this. And don't feel bad if you haven't raised your hand. I know that we can't, we can't be at, at everything that, that takes place. But I want to share with you from this resource. Some of you guys have already heard this and, uh, and some it may be newer. Uh, this is also the resource that I'm going to use with the young men this summer. Uh, a week from Tuesday, June the 30th, I've invited any of the guys that are going into their junior or senior year of high school or if they're college age, to come over to my house. And we're going to begin going through this resource together. And we're going to meet five times over the summer, different houses. But, but you're invited. And, and the, the reason we're doing this is that as the men went through this over the spring, we, we looked at each other and said, wow, wouldn't it be great if younger guys could get, could get their, their, uh, uh, their mind wrapped around some of these principles, particularly with the day that we live in and all the challenges of trying to define uh, uh, manhood and, and marriage and so forth. And so we're going to be doing this, and you are, you're invited to participate. And, uh, and I hope that the church will be praying for this study because it's, uh, it's exceptionally important that these young guys uh, get, uh, get this kind of encouragement. Of course, I know they do in their, their classes and stu- through the student ministry, but this will just be a reinforcement of that. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 5 for a minute. And uh, we're going to base the definition of manhood off of Romans 5 and off of the life of Christ. And uh, I promise I'll, I'll go through this as quick as I can. Um, but it's, it's very important that as we, as, we, as we walk away from the picture given to us in Psalm 128, that we have an encouragement of, of putting things into practice. And so that's what this definition will, will help us do. Uh, Romans 5. Beginning in verse 17, there's a contrast in this verse, a contrast of two men. Listen to what it says. For if because of one man's trespass, now who, who might that be? One man's trespass. Death reigned through that one man. Who would have that been? Adam. Thinking back to the garden, thinking about the fall and sin. It says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So if you will, see the contrast, the way of Adam and the way of Christ. In fact, sometimes we think of this as the first Adam and Jesus being the second Adam, right? Who had the opportunity to be a part of, of, uh, of, a, of a recreation or a restoration uh, after the fall of sin. Romans 5.19, for as by the one man's disobedience, who's what? Who, who is this one man? Adam. They may, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, speaking of course of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And so we see that all of us by nature follow from the beginning the nature of Adam. We, 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 we begin as sinners. We begin as those who, who have not followed the plan of God. But we're given the opportunity to be made new, to be saved, to be born again by the power of Jesus Christ in his life, his death, his resurrection. And so we, we see here in verse 19 this idea of, 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 of coming to him and being, being made new and having another pattern in which we can build our life from. So from this series... Again, I want to give credit to this. They give a definition. They call a compelling definition of authentic manhood. And here it is. The first one is, with Jesus as our model, may we reject passivity. Reject passivity. And there is a push at times for a man to just get passive. 
to not be engaged, whether it be in the life of his family or in his marriage, that there's this temptation to withdraw. And they're saying, no, we can't withdraw. We have to, to be engaged. We have to be involved. This is how we show our, our, our love and our support by being present and, 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 and not checking out on our responsibility. And so we want to reject passivity. Now, you can contrast that from what Adam was doing in the garden, right? He was not, he was not fulfilling his responsibility there. You can look at the life of Jesus and see that he was one who was very much active. Philippians 2.8 tells us, in, in, in part, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Jesus is one who fulfilled his responsibility. And he gives us that example, that model. The second one is to accept responsibility. And again, going back and contrasting, Adam, Adam didn't take personal responsibility in the garden. In fact, if you read through the account, you'll even see that he tried to blame God for, for some of what was happening there in the garden rather than taking personal responsibility. But Jesus was able to pray to God the Father in John 17 by saying, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so he comes to the end of his earthly ministry saying, I've, I've, I've done what you've called me to do and I, I've glorified you through my life. Again, another example for us as men and as us as followers of Christ even to, uh, to want to uh, fulfill the, the call that he's given us. The third one is to lead courageously. Again, the contrast. We know that Adam was not doing this uh, in his life, uh, particularly in the garden, but we see that Jesus was one who took the responsibility to lead. And uh, we know that leadership is a challenge. We know that there are risks when someone says they're going to step out and, and, and try to provide leadership. There's criticism. There's, uh, there's, there's failure. I mean, who can lead perfectly other than Christ? And so, again, it, it, it could cause us to, to, uh, uh, to withdraw and not fulfill the role he's given us. But Jesus was willing to lead. Even in Matthew 4, he was able to say, follow me. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He was willing uh, to lead as God called him. And then the final part of the definition is to invest eternally. And uh, again, if you make the contrast, you can see that Adam was thinking about temporary satisfaction as he partook of the fruit. But Christ is calling us to think beyond the temporal. In Matthew 6, he says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so this is thinking beyond the things of this world and thinking about that influence which is eternal, that legacy, which is an eternal legacy of faith. So as I wrap up this morning, I, I again, I, I, I offer these as words of encouragement to the men that are here today. I, I pray that you will, you will see the picture of Psalm 128, that it will be a blessing to you, that it will be an encouragement to you, that, uh, that you could even see it as a tribute to the men that are here. And I would just say, men, don't, don't grow weary, don't give up. But uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, know that you are needed, that we need you as a church. Your family needs you. I believe that our nation now is in the need of godly men who will, who will love their wives as Christ loved the church, who will consider the spiritual heritage and legacy uh, for their children. And so, uh, so I pray today that you will be honored and that you'll be blessed as you think through God's plan for your life. Would you bow with me as we pray together? and ask for the Lord to apply His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth that You give us in the Psalms. And we thank You for the blessing that is, that is seen here for those who will respect and honor You, 
and also want to walk in your ways. And Lord, I pray for the men of our church, and I know that this is not an easy responsibility that they've been given. But Lord, it is vital. It is vital that they can be close to you and that they can provide and care for the families in which you've entrusted to them. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon fathers today and upon, upon grandfathers as well that are with us. We just ask that this can be a day that they're honored and appreciated. And that Lord, you will encourage them. And that because their faith is built up, that it will, it will build up the faith of our church and of our community. So Lord, help them to not, to not grow weary in doing good. But Lord, may they stand firm. May they be supported. May they be blessed because of who you are and of you working in them and through them. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. And all of God's people said.